If you have your copy of the scriptures or on your phone, we'll read 1 through 11. We'll skip down to 16 to 20. Genesis 45, starting in verse 1. And then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near, and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor har harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler of all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall, bear, you, sh you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children, and your flocks and your herds and all that you have. There I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. Verse 16, when the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers have come. It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, do this, load your beasts and go back to the land of Canaan and take your father and your households and come to me and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you shall eat the fat of the land. And you, Joseph, are commanded to say, do this. Take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives and bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. The word of the Lord. It was March 13th, 2020. The infamous and deadly novel coronavirus have officially been declared a national health emergency by the White House. Just two months prior to the first recorded death, just two months prior, the first recorded death took place in Seattle, Washington. According to every media and news outlet in our country and in, throughout the world, frankly, the world was under siege by an unknown enemy. Other places in the world had already been wrestling with this silent, invisible, and biological enemy. Now it had reached our shores, and it was our turn. Panic, frenzy, confusion, fear are just a few of the emotions we have all felt 
this past year. It wasn't until 2000, excuse me, for the first couple of months living with this invisible serial killer on the loose, but, but that wasn't all that 2020 had to, in store for us. We learned about the tragic death of Kobe Bryant and eight other souls, one being his daughter who died via helicopter crash. Then there was the tragic killings of Ahmaud Arbery in February and Breonna Taylor in March. Tom Brady leaves the New England Patriots after 20 years. In May, the killing of George Floyd by way of a knee on his neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds. In June, Rayshard Brooks is fatally shot in Atlanta, Georgia by a police officer. Representative John Lewis, one of the men who marched with Dr. King and Selma, along with Chaswick Bozeman, the Black Panther. Alex Trebek, all victims of another invisible enemy, cancer. Every sporting event, every entertainment event is either canceled or postponed. The NBA, the Olympics, March Madness, all of it, gone. Then, of course, there was California, which nearly burned for an entire summer. Millions took the streets here and abroad to protest political and social injustice. It was a moment in history the world had never seen. Every continent stood up and marched for justice. As they say in my neighborhood, the streets were talking. They had something to say. September, we saw the passing of Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, a, a, a giant for women's rights in her life. Gone. November gave us the most anticipated and dysfunctional presidential race ever witnessed. And it only solidified that we are still yet the divided states of America. Friends, we have suffered through a hard and difficult year. Some of you didn't even have time to keep up with current events because you were too busy configuring lesson plans, homework assignments, taking tests, while still working a nine to five. Others were still struggling and still are struggling to find a job because 2020 took that too. You miss weddings, funerals, graduations, and birthdays. College students zoomed in isolation. Nine months of on and off shutdowns and quarantines have left us weary and undone. And, and the prevailing question all year has been, when will this be over? When will life be normal again? Yes, I believe that is a significant question to ask. However, I believe there is a more weightier one that has captivated the minds and hearts of Christians across the globe. Where is God? You have been asking this question every time you watch the news. 
You ask it while you lie in bed at night. And then again instantly when you wake up in the morning. Dreading the day ahead as both teacher and parent. When you peruse your bank statements, this question overtakes your mind and the anxiety rules the day. When it, it, it comes to you when you have lost yet another battle with your addiction because loneliness and isolation have become your best friends. From your perspective, it would seem as though evil has prevailed this year. And it has left you undone. But for the first time in 100 years, the entire globe has suffered together. See, suffering in the Christian life is, or somewhat, inseparable. In fact, I would argue that it is precisely these moments, these moments in time, these moments in history, that shape God's people the most. The story of Joseph here in Genesis 45 is a very telling example of that. It's an example of what God does with our suffering. And so what I hope to illustrate to you these next few moments is, is just this one thought. Suffering is not the absence of God, but rather it is the means in which you will find and experience God's goodness in your life. Here we are at the climax of the Joseph saga. Joseph has suffered through slavery, betrayal, false accusations, all, becoming, all before becoming the vice president of Egypt. His brothers and betrayers have come to him begging for food due to their own current pandemic. A famine has been in Canaan for the last two years, and unbeknownst to these band of brothers, they have no idea that the person who holds their family's fate in their hands is their little brother whom they sold into slavery just 20 years ago. Can you see them? The brothers on the floor, hung, heads hung low, clothes worn out and dirty, their faces battered and bruised from the sunburn of the raging sands and the beaming sun. Their lips are crusted for miles and miles of traveling from Canaan to Egypt making their last plea to their brother Joseph. They have done all they could do up until this point. Joseph tested them in the previous chapter, and it seems as though fate, and it seems as though they have failed. Can you see them? The desperation weighing heavy on their shoulders, the hopelessness in their eyes. Joseph standing there in all his royalty, Having heard enough, but then something happens. Don't miss it. Just when they thought their destinies were sealed, Joseph revealed himself in timely fashion. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. He wept aloud so the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. I'm here. It's me, your brother. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. 
But Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth. It was not you who sent me here, but God. Friends, don't miss it. Here's Joseph's testimony. Three times Joseph tells his brothers who orchestrated this divine moment, God sent him before them. In their darkest hour, in the middle of a global pandemic, at just the right time, God showed up in the midst of their suffering. Grace via Joseph was standing right in front of them despite their own history. Notice the reaction of these brothers. Joseph is crying, tears of joy. His brother's jaws are on the ground. They're dismayed, they're distressed. But, but see, the, the English language doesn't quite capture their actual response. They were more terrified, horrified. They couldn't believe it. The color in their faces drain when they see that their brother Joseph is right in front of them. Instead of judgment and rejection and even death, the brothers are met with grace and forgiveness and provision. See, the author wants the reader to know that God does not forget about his people. He's always on time. This, this reminds me of an old gospel song. He's an on-time God. Oh, yes, he is. God knows exactly what you need when you need it. We have all experienced the toughest year of our lives. And yes, 2020 has revealed things about our world that is ugly and demonic. Yes, 2020 has even exposed ugly things about your heart, your marriage, your family. These are things that you can no longer ignore. These are things that you can no longer run from. And, and, and what you need to hear this first Sunday of 2021 is that the same God that came through for this family in their time of need is the same God that has promised to come through for you in your time of need. See, for many of you, this year has reinforced the notion that God really is missing in action. Sin has conditioned you to view the suffering and hardship in your life as a death sentence. You are ready to throw in the towel if you haven't already. But, but what I want to suggest, suggest to you is that the Christian life is born out of suffering. In fact, it's because of suffering in the world that we were sent good news. The story of the Bible is one of God showing up time and time again in the midst of hard times. I remember when Catherine and I had just gotten back from our honeymoon. Excited, ready to take on the world, we're newly married, we're a family, all the excitement that you experience in those, in those moments. 
shortly, maybe a, a week or so after, we, we get back in Lexington, we're in our home, and we find out that we have some, some uh, unknown financial debt, some, some outstanding bills years long. I won't say whose, whose bills they were, but we're one now. So they were, they were, it was my debt too. We had one income at the time. I work with Young Life, so you know, I, I'm not rolling in the bills. And I had no idea how we were getting through this. A, a month, Catherine started her job um, when we got back, but she wouldn't get paid until a month later. And so the week that she was supposed to get paid, we had ran out of money. Zero, zero, zero showed up in the bank. That's what I saw, zeros. And we had a week to get by. A couple of days later, I, I wake up, I check my bank account again. There's money in my bank account. I say, Catherine, do, do you know what this is? Do, or, do you know where this money came from? She said, no. I called every bill collector that we had paid. I called families and friends. I said, did, did you send us money? They said, no. In a moment where I had no answers, we had no, we, we didn't know what was going to happen, how we would get through that week. Somehow, money showed up in our bank and got us through the week. Now, now you may call it luck. Some may call it a coincidence. Some may even call it a clerical error. Mm -mm. What I call it is God. In our time of need, he showed up. And, and so suffering is not meant to block you from God, but instead it ought to direct your gaze on God. Because maybe he is trying to show you something. And, and I fear that if we move on from this past year too fast, we could miss what God is trying to teach us or show us. We could miss how God had maybe showed up for you this past year. This is why Joseph recounts the past events in his life. He, he wants his family to know that it was God that used all that pain, all that strife for good. When Christians take inventory of their own painful history, they begin to see just how far God had brought them. In that moment, when, when God provided for us, the first thing we said when we looked at each other was, man, he is good. I don't have any other explanation. Suffering sort of builds up our spiritual endurance to trust God more. It, it, it produces a kind of expectant hope. And then, see, this is why I love the Old Testament, because it's a, a sort of theology in motion. It, it illustrates for us the words of Paul in Romans 5, verses 3 and 5, where he encourages the Roman church that their suffering is not pointless. It's not meaningless, but that because of Christ, they can, in fact, find joy in their suffering. And it's that very suffering, that very joy, that gives them hope. See, suffering reminds us that something about this place just isn't quite right. 
that, that the life as we know it is, is simply temporary. The pain, the injustice, the disease, the abuse, the addiction, the anxiety, the loss of life, all of it is yet another reminder that this is not our final destination. This is not our home. Therefore, do not allow 2020 to rob you of the joy that you have in Christ. And I know for some of us, reality is not what you intended it to be or, 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 or how you would prefer or even what you have envisioned for your life up to this point. But, but God has a way of doing things according to his own timing. And yes, Lord Jesus, yes, this is a tough one. This is a tough one, friends. What we see in the Joseph narrative is that God operates outside of our standards of time. Therefore, the Christian life is one of patience. And in an age of convenience and efficiency and fast food and Amazon Prime and all the things that we have to make our lives comfortable and cozy, impatience is one of the biggest idols in our heart. Everything we do is time sensitive, and, and this has led us to believe that God ought to operate accordingly. Everything else does, right? Why does God get to be any different? See, there was a journey that Joseph had to go through before he could get to where he was supposed to be. The same is true of his family. Neither he nor his brothers could strong-arm God to fast-track their way into their preferred outcomes. There were things that God needed them to experience and feel and learn. Waiting is difficult. Waiting on the Lord is really difficult. But it's a posture that prepares you for his goodness. From time to time, Catherine and I, another story of ours, we, we watch HGTV, all the home makeovers, right? And, and, and my, one of my personal favorites is Hometown. Anybody familiar with Hometown? Ben and Aaron? Anyway, here you go. There's a couple named Ben and Aaron who, who, and Aaron who renovate vintage uh, historical homes, but, but they do so by keeping the essence of that historicity of sorts. And one of the first things they do is they go around in these old homes. They find something that they, they see. They have this vision in their mind of what this home could be. They've got it mapped out. They know exactly what they want to do. And the first thing they do is strip out everything. They demolish it. They take everything out. They tear down the walls. They take out the kitchen and the bathroom and et cetera and et cetera. Regardless of the project, each renovation has to start the same. Each old home has to be stripped to nothing. It has to be demolished. The house has to get worse before it becomes beautiful. That's the process. You can't skip it and you can't rush it. The demolition period creates the space for restoration to be done over time. In other words, death has to come before resurrection. Rest, re restoration doesn't happen overnight. 
It's a process. And the reality is, sometimes that process is grueling. It took a global pandemic to bring Joseph's brothers lowly and needy. It took roughly 20 years to prepare Joseph's heart for forgiveness for the day that he would look his brothers in his eye again and say, come, I love you, I forgive you. 20 years. And at the same time, it took him 20 years to be prepared for his office as vice president of Egypt. And behind it all, there was God. Now, now, now let me be clear, God is not the author of our suffering and evil. But he is a God who will use it to bring about his plan. And, and he could very well be keeping you in, in sort of a holding pattern because he's saving you for something while in the same turn preparing you for something else. When Jacob's sons made their long journey to Egypt, they simply wanted some, some food for their family. But, but what they left was unimaginable. Unimaginable. So let's see what happens. Verse 9. Hurry up and go to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen. You shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children and your flocks and your herds and all that you have. There I will provide for you. For there are yet five years of famine left so that you and your household and all that you have do not come into poverty. Then Pharaoh hears a report. Joseph, Joseph's brothers have come. It pleased Pharaoh, verse 16. And his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, Do this, load your beasts, and go back to the land of Canaan, and take your father and your households, and come to me, and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt. Take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and your wives, and bring your father and come. Have no concern for your own goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. Now, I've heard some churches and some preachers who argue for what we would call today prosperity gospel. They, they take texts like these and they sell you sweet dreams and they say, hey, if you give a little here, pray a little more, give a little bit more, you'll reap what you give tenfold. You want health, you want wealth, give to the church, give to God and watch him bless you with a big smile on their face. Some go as far to say that America is God's chosen country due to our political and economical and military achievements. Oh, but friends, God is not in the business of making you rich or blessing you with years of longevity based on what you can give or offer, nor does he play favorites with, with geopolitical superpowers in the world. He wants the reader to see that he is in charge of all things under the heavens. That includes rulers and authorities of pagan nations just like Egypt. What we see here is God planning for the future. He, he's ensuring that his namesake, his, his very reputation would not be destroyed. 
See, if this family dies, then God is proved to be a liar. And we know if God is a liar, then he's no God at all. His word is on the line here. He's made a promise to this family and their ancestors. This, this abundance of provision given to this family is a product of God's faithfulness to ensure that a much greater provision would be realized in the future. Paul tells us in Romans 8 that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. This final scene is here to remind you that, that the abundant spiritual blessings we receive in Jesus. See, Joseph's invitation to his family is but a shadow of an invitation that we find in Christ. A Christ who says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. For with me you will find rest. Hmm. See, I don't know what you've gone through this past year. I don't know what kind of days we have ahead. But here's what I do know. There was a man born over 2,000 years ago. He came into this world gentle and lowly. He hailed from a small poor town called Bethlehem. He lived in obscurity for 30 years. He, he waited patiently to do the Father's will. He was a man of perfect innocence a man full of righteousness, a man that was the epitome of justice. He holds the world in his hands. He is everything we think justice ought to be and everything we wish love was. Can you see him? He is the epitome of things hoped for. He too was once betrayed by his own family and friends. He too was uh, spit on and beaten and mocked and jeered. Can you see him high on that cross, hung high and stretched wide? Can you see him? Amen. This man is called Jesus. Three days later, he died. Excuse me. Three, he, he died, and three long days later, he rose. His name is Jesus. He is all that you wish this world could offer. Enemies have tried to mock him. Academia has tried to outsmart him. Countries have tried to overthrow him. But still he reigns. 2,000 years later, still he reigns. I don't know about you, but what will get you ahead in these next few days is a man we call Jesus. He's triumphed over his enemies. He sits on the throne in all his power and glory and majesty. He is your rock in a hard place. And in times of need, in times of trouble, there's a friend I have in Jesus. There's a name I can call, King of kings and Lord of lords. He's the balm your soul needs when suffering hits your doorstep. I cannot promise you that your pain will go away, but I can promise you that the Jesus you need, the Jesus that we need this upcoming year, is here with you. Yes, you will suffer. Yes, your life may get harder, 
Yes, things may get bleaker. The dark days and the dark months may continue on. But what will not stop is your Father in heaven being right next to you. So what do we do when things get tough? As the psalmist says, I lift my eyes into the hill. Where does my help come from? Friends, he comes. His name is Lord of Lords and Kings of Kings. We call him Jesus. Let's pray. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Give us your helping hand. Comfort those who need comfort. And remind us that in spite of everything we've done in our own life, in spite of what this world may say or do, or do, you are God and you are God alone. In times of trouble, you are near. Help us, Lord. Amen.